Hello, hello, and welcome along to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast, and a very happy new year to you all. ED Editor Luke Nichols here, and I'm joined in the studio by the rest of the editorial team who have uh, returned, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to bring you a very special episode of the show today. So we've got our senior reporter Matt and reporter George here with us on this very cold, frosty uh, January morning. Hello to you both. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Luke. Happy New Year to you too. Glad Glad to be back. You know, I was I was just sitting at home, I had my advent calendar done, and I made a new calendar of counting down the days to get back into the office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How was Hogmanay, actually? You were in Edinburgh, Yeah, you? I was. Um, from what I remember, it was an extremely fun, fun night, yeah. No, it was it was great fun. Edinburgh is, is, is a beautiful city, and um, hopefully that won't be in my last Hogmanay. Yeah, and uh, and George, you've recovered from your illness, because you were off last episode, weren't you? I think you had a, you know, eaten a few too many cookies, I think you told me, didn't that's, you? That's right, yeah, <laughs> far too many cookies. They couldn't uh, crane me out of the house. Uh, not helped at all by uh, the mince pies and mulled wine. No, no. Back, back to the full fitness now. Good stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're raring to go. Um, and now, usually at this point, I would uh, play some excerpts of the recorded interviews that we'll be playing later on in the episode. Um, but I thought we'd kick 2017 off uh, a little bit differently uh, because we're in fact joined uh, on the Sustainable Business Covered podcast by a very special guest, uh, which is I think a, a first for this podcast actually to have a guest in the studio live. Um, so this guest is aware of many different hats, um, has a very long list of titles from what I saw just now, um, a doctor, a D-prof, uh, you've got an MSc, a CMI. She's an FRSA, uh, I'm not sure what we would tell, but uh, yeah, more letters in those acronyms than I think in my entire name, so uh, yeah, it puts up to shame. Uh, so a very warm welcome to you, Alexandra Stubbings. Um, Hello. You're the, so you're Managing Director and Co-Founder of Sustainability Consultancy Talic & Co. That's right. Uh, and also work as a Leadership Coach for Sustainability Professionals. So first of all, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Luke. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, pleasure, pleasure to Where did be you here. spend your Christmas New Year out of interest? Uh, Christmas Christmas was at home, so um, yeah, a lot more mulled wine, mince pies, <laughs> Christmas cake, and mm. New Year was in Stockholm, which was very lovely. Mm. Uh, not as snowy as you might expect, but then, yeah, that's been um, kind of the hallmark of this winter, really, hasn't mm. it? Uh, milder than expected, but mm. um, yes, beautiful, and yeah. uh, thoroughly recommend it. Nice. the opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like we all had quite a relaxing break now. I think I've spent far too many days, actually, I was saying earlier, spent in my pajamas until sort of 9pm and then sort of suddenly realising the time and thinking I need to get changed to sort of maintain some dignity. Sounds like a perfect Christmas to me, doesn't it? Yeah, anyway, thank you very much for taking the time out to join us today, Alexandra. Um, Hope you don't feel too misled when I said that this was a podcast studio. There's no hanging mics, no soundproofed uh, walls. It is just the office here with a small audio recorder. Um, So apologies for that, but we do do the best we can. Um, So the reason I thought or or we thought that it would be good to have you on the episode was um, because we need a little bit of motivation for the year ahead, <laughs> not just us, um, although George does look like you need a bit, bit of a lift over there. Uh, but no, I, I mean, our listeners, sustainability community, uh, probably welcome a bit of a morale boost, especially given the, the year that we just had. Um, <laughs> yes, I think that's very fair. I think we could all do with a bit of morale boost. And yeah. uh, yes, I'll be scratching my head to come up with some good ideas yeah. and see what I can offer. Good. So um, perhaps then to get things kicked off, best place to start would be with you, uh, a little bit of background. How did you get into the world of sustainability and what exactly do, do you do now? <laughs> good question. <laughs> um, so I, I suppose I have... Um, 
sustainability or environmental sustainability particularly was always something of of importance to me but not necessarily something that was central to the work that I did until probably about 10 years ago when I uh, I was doing a lot of work I've always worked in uh, organizational change culture change leadership development uh, and I was doing a lot of work in Germany at the time actually flying back and forth to to Munich and realized that the I was working with a particular organisation to help them become uh, more effective, more efficient, more profitable, but they weren't paying any attention whatsoever to either environmental or social factors. And I could just see this coming down you know, like a wall that they were going to hit sooner mm. or later, mm. uh, and likewise for myself, and realised that actually the work I was doing in culture change had uh, a really important role to play in sustainability. Uh, I was working at Ashridge at the time, so I was able to go back to them and say, look, this, this is an arena which our clients are not paying enough attention to. We need to do something about that. And in fairness to them, uh, along with others there, I wasn't on my own in saying this, we were able to, um, uh, with some foresight, put together a, a team of people who could start to apply organisational development thinking to matters of sustainability and sustainable development mm. uh, and so the work has grown from there. Mm. Interesting and so Talic & Co uh, was founded? So Talic & Co was founded so I did, uh, I did my doctorate at Ashridge looking at uh, organisational engagement with sustainability so uh, culture change, behaviour change and so on and in 2013 um, I left Ashridge having set up Talic & Co with the intention of focusing exclusively on doing that work mm. so supporting organizations who are interested in developing clearer purpose who want to be more relevant to the the markets and future audiences um, that, that need them you know addressing the social needs that mm. are out there uh, and supporting those organizations to do that but also likewise actually this was really critical for us was working being able to bring the capability, the kind of global business school level capability that we have, and take that into NGOs, startups, social enterprises that normally can't afford that kind of high level sort of global consultancy quality mm. of work. Mm. So we were able to start to work with them and bring that thinking and that knowledge to bear um, in much smaller scale, but really important purpose led organisations. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Um, and it wasn't long ago, actually, that I found out that sustainability seems to run in the family, doesn't it? Because uh, <laughs> y your brother, uh, Larry, was involved in our sustainability skills workshop. He has been for a couple of years, and I, I never yeah. put the two and two together. Yes, um, so, yeah, it must have made some interesting discussions around the table on Christmas, perhaps. Uh, yes, it certainly <laughs> does, yes. And, uh, yeah, one other slightly, uh, in well, interesting and slightly random fact, actually, I found out about you is on the Ashridge Business School uh, website, I was having a look at your, your bio on there, and um, is it true that you've worked in more than 30 countries? Uh, it was 30 when I lost count, yeah, it's probably <laughs> considerably more than that now. Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate, I, I get to do some really interesting work, particularly with some big global networks around climate change and uh, climate compatible development. And it's taken me to you know, running large events for hundreds of people in places like Ethiopia and Dominican Republic and mm. Bangkok and so on. So it's um, it's fascinating work. Yeah. And I get to work with some really interesting people. It's a real privilege. Interesting. I don't think I've even been to 30 countries in my life. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I've got a few years on you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, very well travelled, very well versed when it comes to sustainability leadership then.
So now this uh, this episode is all about um, looking forward to 2017. Um, but I think it would probably be best to begin with a look back to uh, the past 12 months, really, to get an idea of where we stand now in the world of sustainable business. Very different world now than it was 12 months ago. Um, so, Alexandra, how would you summarise 2016 from a green economy or sustainability perspective? Was it good year, bad year, indifferent? Um, I think it was. I think it was a really difficult year. Mm. Um, I think the combination, the double whammy of Brexit and Trump's election mm. uh, was demonstrative of that. I was in New York the week after uh, Trump was elected and I was working with a group of people who work in uh, racial justice uh, and climate change and others and we were running a, a leadership workshop and in fairness, it felt like a couple of days of catharsis wow. as, as people were dealing with the, the shock and mm. disbelief and so on. So I, th- I think it's been, I'm, I'm sure there were some highlights, but I, I think that the standout sort of moment from, from last year really is the, this, as I say, this double whammy. Yeah, it was a shock, wasn't it? It must have been amazing. Like the, it must have been quite palpable being there in New York, the feeling... <laughs> It it, it was actually, it was. And I think like many people, I did my little pilgrimage down Fifth Avenue to stand outside Trump Tower and just see the demonstrations and the reactions, the protests. Mm. And uh, yes, that was that was the kind of immediate aftermath, though. And I think COP22 was kind of apparent that the business case is still getting strong in in your opinion. I don't know how long you spent out there, but the people you work with, was it a case of after that immediate kind of few days of catharsis it was like okay back on back on the train back on the horse and get on with it yeah I, I think one of the things that stood out for me in the weeks that followed is the way that it's it's galvanizing the green movement to to start to organize and coalesce and come together so some very fractured and disparate groups perhaps now have a, a, a common focus um to you know someone to address mm. uh, so i think that's that's really interesting um, yeah, so we'll see see what happens there. I think the other thing that struck me was the way in which uh, states, regions, cities mm. are, are responding mm. and actually suggesting that, in fact, a lot of the important work will be happening at a more local level yeah. than necessarily at the national or, or mm. even possibly the international level. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Um, and if listeners of the podcast hear rustling of paper at the moment, it's because we did I did bring in a couple of articles um, that we'd written fairly recently uh, Recently, that I thought it's quite an unsustainable way of doing it, I suppose, printing it all out. But uh, thought for you, Alexandra, it might be quite useful for you to see them. Yeah. Uh, the first here is um, an article we put together just before Christmas, which was um, rounding up some of the, the most read stories we wrote about on ED, actually, of 2016. Um, now, it's not the case of uh, spot the errors in the article. Uh, I think it was one of George's, so yeah, oh, be no, careful no, with it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I thought it maybe might jog your memory and wanted to ask you if there were any kind of standout moments for you um, in 2016 that you thought really showed that we're continuing to move in the right direction despite the likes of Brexit and Trump? Did you have any personal highlights? Not necessarily on the list, but... Um, yeah, I think we saw some uh, some interesting moves in renewable energy, actually. Mm. And, and obviously, on, on the one hand, we're seeing subsidies for renewable energy going over a cliff, and that's a, a major issue. But we're also seeing, actually, a, a response in terms of... Uh, whether it's wind, solar or others, actually becoming um, 
less dependent on subsidies. Mm. So actually uh, achieving grid parity in a lot of places. Mm. So we're seeing, so for me, one of the big highlights of this past year has been, um, if you like, the, the maturation of the renewable energy industry mm. globally. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the, l- reduced dependence on coal, number of countries becoming um, 100% renewable for possibly only days at a time at the moment, mm. but it's, it's demonstrating, it's mm. showing the way. Mm. And commitments to phase out, which we've made last year, didn't we? Absolutely. Um, interesting. And would you agree with that, um, Matt and George? I mean, were there any personal highlights for you? I mean, George, this was your, your first year, wasn't it? First year of writing about sustainability, being That's involved right. in the world of sustainability. So what was your sort of take on it from an outsider's perspective? Mm. Was it interesting? That's right. So, yeah, it's coming into this uh, as a complete novice. I'm not, I'm not sure how much that has changed <laughs> in the last 10 months or so. But, um, yeah, as you, it, was, it was good coming in from a sort of external perspective because, uh, obviously, all, all you ever hear about is global warming, global warming, global mm. warming. And um, with that concept, I mean... There's not too much that I knew about it. And I, me- I remember my first week on the job, it was uh, the 2016 budget. Mm. And we're all, oh, yeah. we're all getting excited. Well, possibly <laughs> you, I was, but I'm not sure anyone else was. Um, and then, yeah, we are hoping, is George Osborne going to deliver anything? And of course, no, nothing mm. was there in terms of green economy. I thought, what have I let myself into here? <laughs> but uh, in the ensuing months, and you see all these stories that come out, and we're talking about um, renewables, record uh, amounts being uh, installed. Mm. Into, and then you have the clean, clean tech innovation alongside that. Mm. And then all the great in, uh, initiatives that have been done by businesses. And uh, it's actually left me with like, genuine excitement for, mm. the, for the year ahead. Mm. Yeah, you don't know too much when you're not actually involved in it day to day. A few years ago, went before my job here. You don't realise how much is being done actually behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and mm-hmm. actually how right. much work these people are doing. <laughs> and some of the names I didn't know before joining this industry and writing about it, and now you know about, it and you realise how um, important and the work they're doing is. Um, it's fascinating. Were there any particular highlights for you? Matt? Yeah, um, I think for as difficult a year as it was, there was there was some real kind of landmark moments. Um, I mean, obviously, Alexander mentioned the whole renewables thing. Uh, I read earlier, you know, Costa Rica spent you know the whole year ninety eight percent powered by renewables. So if a country's already doing that, mm. that's yeah. that's huge. Um, and I mean, not not exactly a global you know economic powerhouse, although maybe it's easy for that reason. But um, I think one of the things that I first thought was one of these big step backs was the kind of whole abolishment of of deck. Mm. You know mainly because it happened at like 4.30 in the afternoon and I was getting ready to go home. So kind of had to reschedule my Thursday evening, but that's, that's fine, that's fine. Um, there was a lot of that last year. Yeah, um, but mainly because I think it was it was a very natural, it was a very human reaction to to an advisement of the central department for our kind of industry. Mm. And that getting cut away was quite fearful. But I think even though Bayes is still outlining, we've got the industrial strategy to come up and it still is kind of outlining where it's going, I actually think what the department's done in its first few months has been pretty promising approval of the fifth column budget. I am um, wholly more competent in Greg Clark's ability to not just deliver on these initiatives, but kind of in, inspire a department compared to Amber Rudd. That's just my personal preference. <laughs> i got nothing against Amber Rudd. I've never met either of them, so <laughs> going wholly from what I, what I read. But, um, but um, you know, I think people that know him I said he's you know he's very committed to this kind of this kind of aspect and I think the work they've been able to do there with the ratification 
of, of their Paris Agreement. They're fully on board with this. Mm. They essentially given themselves a, a seat at this global global movement. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the coming months. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're sort of yeah maybe echoing what we said in the last podcast episode, aren't we? I mean, I suppose um, 2016 was a, a year a bit of uncertainty, turbulence um, in some respects, but it was also a year of real positive change. And actually, interestingly, none of us have mentioned the Paris Agreement, which was obviously mm-hmm. one of the yeah. big yeah, things of last yeah. year. Um, so the signing of that and the commitment some of the commitments made by green business leaders last year really show that we've set ourselves up onto a, on a nice platform for, for the year ahead. So, um, bridges us nicely onto the year ahead. Let's have a look at, um, or talk about where we're going now. Um, again, Alexandra, in front of you, you've got uh, another one of our articles. There's a little something I put together yesterday. Um, it's a, a list of um, 17 big reasons to, for sustainability professionals to get excited about in 2017. Mm. I'm sure you're aware of most of those on that list already, but um, might be a nice reminder for you. Um, we've got some you know, new standards being released this year, some major new green policy strategies being announced, some huge renewable energy projects being built, autonomous vehicle trials taking place here in the UK. Um, what stands out for you then, Alexandra? Not necessarily, again, one on that, on that list, but from your perspective, what are you most excited to see this year? Um, well, and one of the things that stands out on the list is the self-driving cars, mm, actually. Mm, mm. And, uh, and one of the reasons being that the, um, our little office, Talek's office, is in the same building as the um, uh, transport systems catapult. Oh, okay. So we get to watch the little driverless cars pilot up and down the road wow. in, in Milton Keynes, which is great fun. So, um, But a- actually seeing how these things will work and the difference that they could make is, is hugely exciting. Mm. So uh, I think that's going to be a, a real... And, and we'll be talking later about behaviour change mm. uh, a little bit. And I think if there's one thing that's going to really drive some behaviour behaviour change, I think it's going to be these sorts of things that will will change the way people commute and, mm. and act and so on. You'll get a lot of <clears throat> first-hand experience of that as well, being in Milton Keynes, because it's one of those smart cities, it's got, you know, it's not just rolling these out because the company's there, it's got yeah. the government back in, I think it's uh, 80 million split between four or five UK cities mm. yeah. on this kind of EVs and autonomous vehicles as well. There's yeah. a lot happening in Milton Keynes, isn't there? It's mm. a bit of a hub. For... It, it, it is a bit, which is actually why we based ourselves there. Oh, right. um, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, most people, you know, Milton Keynes is a bit of a joke, isn't it? But <laughs> <laughs> let's face it, concrete cows and roundabouts. Yeah, yeah. I'm more than willing to admit <laughs> that. Um, but actually, we decided, yeah, it really is. It's a fast growing green hub and, and it's exciting what they're doing. So mm. we figured we'd be a part of it and it's a nice, nice. Spot. and it's very green 22 mm. million trees apparently um, <laughs> yeah. the other thing that I was going to mention that I'm excited about which which isn't on the list and perhaps sounds a little random but is uh, is the rise of veganism okay um, and and seeing um, you know just reading the last few days about Pret uh, extending the the vegan options that mm. it's providing and the vegetarian options because coming back again and again to what are the differences that people can be making in their own lives that can have a really substantial impact on um, you know, on climate change uh, and so on it's it's something like changing your diet mm. and it's mm-hmm. something that everyone can do mm. so if we start to see those sorts of changes uh, and again it's uh, we're seeing the likes of facebook and social media act to uh, put a little bit of pressure on on people so people are starting to a find it easier because the options are there and b feeling a little bit more of that pressure 
um, and these sort of shifting cultural norms associated with so I think that's that's really exciting I think yeah, that's something to watch might be a good it's a good time for New Year's resolutions isn't it? so veganism is a good avenue is. to go down so I think veganary if you haven't signed <laughs> up to a veganary yet I think yeah. that's a good time to start it's interesting <laughs> that you say that actually because we're just scoping an article at the moment on kind of with this new year sort of new year's resolution vibe mm. and diets and um, different avenues more and more people are going down now that actually have huge implications kind of emissions mm-hmm. wise mm-hmm. meat, meat and dairy are the, the big two aren't mm-hmm. they for this, for yeah. this kind of um, emissions from, from farming and agriculture so yeah. yeah absolutely and I think often people can look at sustainability and they look at what the the big names are doing and they look at what the big organisations are doing and it can feel a little bit uh, detached mm. a little bit remote from them so when it comes to well what can I do you know, something like veganism is far more effective than you know printing on both sides or <laughs> reducing the paper intake. Yeah, I think we have printed on both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what about you guys? I mean, anything in particular you're looking forward to this year? Just to briefly touch again on the, the vehicle aspect of it, I'm, I think it's more of a kind of the way that sectors will now kind of cross each other and, and have to learn to integrate with one another. Mm-hmm. You saw the trials that, you know, Nissan are doing with, with NL, mm-hmm. the whole vehicle to grid thing, so mm-hmm. using EVs to send this whole storage back to the grid and the way that that's not that's not just, you know, utilities working with um, you know, car manufacturers. That's also got a domestic and non domestic building aspect to it. When mm-hmm. you add, you know, renewables onto a, a roof as well, it creates this kind of it creates this kind of trifecta of, of working industries that come together and could deliver an, an extremely efficient system. Mm. But um, one thing which I am looking forward to seeing is the real kind of, not takeoff because it's doing pretty well already, but the Science Based Targets Initiative. Mm. It's already mm-hmm. got more than 200 members. It's only been around for 18 months. Yeah. Now the Paris Agreement is in force. I think mm. that that two, two C pathway is going to get a lot of businesses turning. And it's not just something they can say, oh, okay, we're going to reduce our scope one, two, and even three emissions by X amount. It's something that has to be independently verified by an external company. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's then adding the kind of accountability to these kind of CSR reports. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, the science-based targets, just thinking about that. I mean, it's it's only kind of, it's less than two years old, isn't it, that initiative? Mm. It's, I remember when I joined three or four years ago here, and, um, yeah, I'd never written about that, never heard of it. We, it wasn't coming up at all, anyway, on our mm. diaries, and... You think about that as that sort of really epitomises the pace of change that can happen when the right initiatives in place, the right businesses start getting on board with it. Because yeah, two hundred, more than two hundred members. Uh, what about you, George? Any anything else we've covered? Covered what you were going to say? Um, no, a lot of stuff has been covered. But looking from a green policy aspect, uh, I've been covering a lot of that recently. Mm. Um, we've got two uh, hopefully uh, big uh, developments coming up. We've got the. Um, 25-year plan from DEFRA, which hopefully will be um, released in the opening stages of this year. I mean, um, I'm hoping that they won't use Brexit as, as an excuse mm. not to release this. I know mm. they've been saying that only like a third of uh, laws may not be transposed. Mm. So I'm hoping that uh, Ledson mm. can get our act together. Well, it's, inter- it's, a big, it's such a big plan, isn't it? I mean, mm. a 25-year plan for the environment, it has it yeah. is, a, is inherently a, a post-Brexit plan then, isn't it? So yeah. um, I do sympathise with the view that uh, it takes time, you can't rush can, into that's it. That's what I thought, yeah. When it was delayed, I actually understood that mm. delay. There was a lot of uproar about it, but I did think, well, yeah, wait a minute. I actually want, I would rather this was delayed and then we actually seriously thought about maintaining a lot of the protections we've got rather mm. than just kind of rushing it through based on what we 
planned mm. previously. Yeah, because is it like you said, it's twenty five year plan. It's like the future yeah. Brexit, whereas most kind of you know um, political cycles last what between like four to eight years. Mm. You're, yeah. you're literally introducing something that outlasts all of that. Mm. 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 Yeah, interesting. So yeah, it'd be very interesting from a green policy perspective to see what happens. Anyway, so um, another of your hats, Alexandra, uh, which we mentioned earlier, is your work as a, a leadership coach and mm-hmm. a trainer, if you like. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but last month was our Sustainability Leadership Month uh, mm-hmm. on ED. Uh, we ran lots of editorial content on the site relating to sustainability leadership. It sort of evolved from our Sustainability Skills Month mm-hmm. uh, a month earlier. Um, and this is all in the build-up to two of the biggest events in our calendar, uh, which are taking place later this month. We've got the Sustainability Leaders Forum and the Sustainability Leaders Awards, which take place on the 25th and 26th of January. Um, so yeah, doing lots of work at the moment, getting things ready for those two events. Yeah. Um, but I thought it would be an ideal time then, Alexandra, to ask you a, a bit about sustainability leadership. Um, given all of those events we talked about that have happened over the past year and the way that the economy and business has evolved mm. over the past few years, what do you think then makes an effective modern day sustainability leader? <laughs> Great question. Um, I, I think one of the things, one of the most important things, if we're talking about sustainability leadership, mm. is uh, is the ability to, to make sense of an awful lot of complex incoming data, mm. uh, or at least to be able to create the forums that bring people together that enable them to do that. Mm. Um, and if there's one thing that we've learned from the past year, it's that we can't predict we can't predict effectively what's coming down the line, um, but perhaps we can get better at anticipating, perhaps we can get better at scenario planning, um, identifying potential risks and, and opportunities. And I think that's what sustainability leadership uh, done really well is that's what it's about. Mm. Uh, as one of my colleagues at, at Ashridge, uh, Matt Gitcham, the director of the um, Business and Sustainability Research Forum, would say, you know, it's actually sustainability is strategy where the unit of analysis is planetary Mm. so actually really good sustainability leaders are really good strategists Uh, and that's what we those are the sorts of skills that we need to develop Uh, so I would talk about taking an outside-in approach Uh, a lot of the sustainability practitioners that I've coached and worked with for lots of understandable reasons get caught up in the day-to-day of just trying to get tasks done, get goals and objectives met, and they're focused inside the organisation, trying to manage people and so on. And actually, one of the most useful things they can be doing is really paying attention to what's going on out there uh, and bringing that data into the right people, bringing, you know, spotting those weak signals and trends mm. and making the right people aware of those mm. and helping people within the organisation who often aren't talking to each other have those conversations that they need to have. Yeah. You know, so so those are some of the things that I, I would notice straight <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, ticked off most of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we produced, a, we produced a series of videos back in November or December last year and um, sort of combining a lot of the skills that you need mm. um, to be an effective sustainability leader and you've ticked a lot of them off in terms of kind of being able to manage and curate data effectively, being a good strategist. Mm. Um, horizon scanning is such an important one yeah. as well. Being able to, I think that is often what separates leading companies from companies yes. that are just performing relatively well on sustainability is 
So I think if you know you have to mention the likes of Interface, Unilever, and these kind of yeah. companies. But they, the thing that seems to bind them, a couple of things actually. One is that lead, they have someone from the very top mm-hmm. that is actually on board with it. You yeah, think yeah. Stuart Rose at M&S when that was yeah. years ago, and um, Paul Pullman Paul at Pullman. Unilever, yeah. obviously. Um, and so that's one thing, but also the ability to kind of look at what's next and really plan for things and, and set targets that you're not even sure how you're necessarily going to achieve mm-hmm. um, and kind of bring that level of ambition into, into what you're thinking yeah. next. So, yeah, really interesting. So I, I think one of the things I would just um, emphasise is that entrepreneurship, which mm. you're, you're sort of saying in, in the description of the the role that the CEO is taking and mm. so on. But actually, I think that entrepreneurial thinking is something that anyone can be doing from within the organisation. And, and whether you um, have a sustainability with a capital S title or not, actually, it's something you can be paying attention to. So mm. what are those weak signals out there? Mm. And has the role of a sustainability leader, professional, changed over time in, from your perspective? I mean, does, does a professional need to be and to have different skill sets now need to be performing differently than compared with, say, you know, three, five years ago? I think it's actually more about where people start from. Okay. So, so I think uh, early on we would see people coming across from HSQE type functions, mm. you know, kind of health and safety quality. Mm. Um, or we see people coming in from perhaps a marketing or a PR type role. And I think that often tells us a lot about where an organisation starts from and how it frames what sustainability is. So are, are we interested in sustainability in order to send the right messages to our customers or our investors? Or are we in sustainability because we need to manage risk or manage safety? Or So I think the starting frame often tells us a lot about where people come from but what I think what we have seen in in recent years as the recognition of um, needing to pay attention to these broader issues has become more apparent we are seeing uh, sustainability practitioners developing much greater skills around influencing and communicating and engaging and enrolling and so on and I think this is where the leadership piece comes in Mm. Um, these are critical we call them adaptive leadership qualities Um, there's a, a school of thought that looks at the difference between adaptive and technical ways of of understanding your work as a a leader Mm. Uh, and the technical stuff is pretty obvious and I think that uh, particularly for sustainability practitioners I think that is it just becomes more technical more complex Uh, there is more to be paying attention to uh, an ever-increasing list of indicators for GRI (laughs) 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 so 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 but but most people can get their heads around that. That's not difficult. I think the much more difficult stuff is being able to engage, to to use your power and influence effectively, particularly mm. with people who have very different views, very different agendas. Yeah, it's the less tangible stuff, isn't it? It's the people, the, yeah, the yeah. kind of the things that are much harder to manage. Not people. It's not on paper. It's kind of you know you've got to act to different personalities and individuals and uh, stories. Uh, In that yeah. regard as well, do you think with with 2017, with the the Trump and Brexit question marks, I suppose, the 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 role of a sustainability leader will change in that regard. It's it's definitely now more about that engagement and kind of not convincing, but but persuading the the staff members to, in essence, 
potentially swim against the global tide and carry on down this journey. Yeah, the narrative's changed. Mm. Yeah, 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 I think that's a really good point. And, uh, and I think it's, it's possible. So despite what um, you may have deep expertise in a particular arena, it might be around energy management, it might be around you know, facilities or life cycle assessment, I don't know. But, but there are some, uh, we might think of them as generic skills that cross-cut horizontally across all of those roles and being able to do what you're describing, which I think is to help people to to make sense of and find a route through and find opportunity and possibility. Yes, and that that's what I think of as, as leadership. And it's why it's important, I think, to differentiate between being a sustainability leader and being uh, and taking leadership when the opportunity arises, mm. which is something that I think everyone can do. Yeah, fascinating. And in terms of the future of sustainability, full stop, I guess, or sustainability leadership, um, there's often talk of um, skills gap uh, within the sustainability sphere um, and that not enough people are necessarily entering the career with the skills mm. or techniques required in order to take things on to the next level. You mentioned, obviously, you've done a lot of work with Ashridge Business mm. School. So based on, on your experience there and generally, I mean, are you optimistic that we do have the sustainability leaders of tomorrow coming through? I I think we we can do. Uh, yeah, I am optimistic about that, to be honest, because I, I don't think it's... I think we're seeing a maturing of what sustainability leadership means. And and whilst there is uh, the need for the, the deep expertise in a, an increasing variety of, of arenas, as we said, actually... Um, there is a role for everybody in becoming a sustainability leader mm. or, and, and developing, because I think it's a mindset shift. So it, it's about engaging, uh, so you know, maybe it's your, your CFO, your finance director, uh, maybe it's your head of marketing, but if, if, these, um, if these people are engaged and they're able to start to see how to bring their own expertise and capabilities to bear, uh, that that's that's what's required to shift a whole organisation mm. towards a more sustainable footing. Mm. You're not going to create whole organisational change by having a few people with sustainability in their title sat in a room somewhere. It's going to happen when you have everyone in the organisation starting to realise how they can apply their own skills and knowledge and capability to the sustainability issue. Mm. So it's a reframe, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete yeah. sense, yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, are there any companies, organisations, sectors that you, Alexandra, have worked with, either a a coaching or consultancy level, um, that you think have demonstrated all of these attributes we've been discussing uh, to really kind of drive sustainable business and actually gone through an inspiring journey or taken on a particular challenge or moved from a a laggard to a, a leader on sustainability. Yeah, I think it's it's a multi-year process, but um, I mean, I would say one of the um, one of the companies that comes to mind is a family business in the construction industry that I've done a lot of work with in in recent years, mm-hmm. uh, and they've done some amazing work over the last uh, eighteen months or so, looking at their their purpose. Mm. as an organisation. This is a family business that's been around for multiple generations. 
and they're looking at their purpose, they're looking at their values. We did a, a piece of work across the whole business, engaging everyone to think about the vision for the future. Uh, and sustainability and uh, responsibility was something that came up very powerfully. So in putting together the new set of organisational values and the purpose statement, sustainability found its way right into the heart of it. Mm. So we now talk about being a, a responsible business and what that means in terms of not only safety uh, and responsibility to each other, but a broader responsibility to communities and the planet. And then that is now being translated into actions right the way through the business, mm. uh, from a sustainability uh, function which is being developed and now reports directly through to the, the founder and the CEO uh, through to lots of actions that are taking place on the ground. So I think there are some great examples like that where we're seeing great leadership from the top. Mm. Uh, another one that comes to mind is a, a foundation in United Arab Emirates that I've done a fair bit with over the few, last few years. Mm. And uh, they were recognising that actually they had um, this really... Um, this central position um, right next to working with the government, uh, working very closely with the government, and they had an opportunity to influence. So we did some work with them developing their sustainability skills and understanding and making sense of what that really means for, to them in their region, mm. in the, the Gulf region, in the Middle East, so that they could start to act as consultants and advisors themselves to the UAE, the Emirati government, mm. which yeah. I think was a mm. great yeah, example where a particular great example of where you recognize that you can use your influence really positively and so you get that multiple multiplying effect mm, mm, yeah that's interesting and that thing about discovering the purpose is so crucial isn't it on any sustainability journey i guess and um the construction side of things i think that's a, a set, yeah it certainly resonates with us what you said about that because it does seem to be an industry that is beginning to understand and beginning to take things on to a, a new level sustainability-wise. You think of the amount of companies last year that moved into um, demand response as an example, as a way of kind of starting to change the way they're managing and, and using consuming energy. Mm, mm. Um, obviously, it's a huge emitter, so any kind of changes that they can make, as small as they are, can be quite drastic. You think yeah. of Interserve, St. Gaban, Carillion, Hanson, mm. all of these companies we wrote major stories about within the past 12 months so yeah fascinating to see the, the change happening mm. there and I think just going back to the earlier point about the importance of partnerships mm. yeah, actually seeing the growing and uh, maturing partnerships between for example architects contractors subcontractors so that they're identifying um, different materials mm -hmm. saying actually reducing concrete so you know, the focus on sustainability has got out of the head office now and is really embedded into the sites mm. people are thinking about how they can you know, reduce waste to zero how they can design mm. in more sustainable alternatives in order to design out material yeah yeah uh, let's bring you both in then Matt and George mm. I know you've been sitting there very mm. patiently um are there any people or companies either of you have written about over the past year or so that have inspired you and Please don't say Paul Palmer. <laughs> George, you want to take this one first? Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Um, so I look at the innovators. You look at like the likes of Jeff Bezos. You look at mm. Elon Musk. I think the, these guys are sort of like combining profit-driven uh, approach and realising that it can work uh, with uh, sustainable 
development and it's just brilliant to see some of the stuff that we've written about uh, over the last year whether it's like an emergence in drone technology or even like uh, solar factories in space and that, that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as wild as that is yeah and interestingly both of those you know leaders of the company rather than the sustainability mm. manager in the company as we were saying earlier it's about kind of that's what can begin to drive real change is when you get the people at the very top on board with it uh, what about you Matt? Um, so what in terms of a personal or a company yeah, you're struggling here no no it's just I'm, I'm trying to narrow it down <laughs> this, this this job's been kind to me in, in the sense that the last certainly the last probably the last half of 2016 I got to speak to some really interesting people mm. um, you know and got, gone on some interesting trips yeah yeah, yeah exactly, exactly you know um, whether it's and, and it's such an array of sectors and and products that are producing whether it's um carlsberg and obviously diageo which our readers haven't haven't heard yet but that's coming up mm-hmm. two really interesting um heads of their sustainability department both who like, I'm, I'm not a leader you know i my dogs take me for a walk not not me <laughs> taking them i i don't know what it's like to be a leader but to get an insight into these guys lives like um uh, David Croft from Diageo. Mm. Um, I, I spoke to him um, just before the Christmas break, and he he just got back f- from Kenya, and he was going around. And he's speaking to stakeholders one day, farmers the next. It's why he's so so approachable to talk to. He knows how to talk to mm. different people in different mindsets. Mm. And obviously, um, Simon Bowes Hofmar as well at Carlsberg. Just and just hearing firsthand, face to face, how passionate they are about this is. It's almost inspiring, but I think the one that, that got me the most that I actually came away thinking that was that was mind blowing, really interesting was um, I, I was lucky enough to speak to um, two of the board members at Interface, and I, I told my friends about this beforehand that I was I was going to chat to Interface. Now, who 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 are they? Mm. Um, you know, my, my friends are in the nicest way possible, not our target audience. Let's just leave it at that. And I said, oh yeah, they're, they're carpet manufacturers, carpet tile manufacturers. Now that's going to be a really really boring interview. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you'd be surprised. And and it wasn't. They it was the launch of their climate take back scheme, yeah. which is ridiculously ambitious, mm. like turning factories into like ecosystems mm. that live and breathe with one another. Mm. You know, reversing the effects of climate change. It's all built around this net positive aspect and. It was inspiring. I, I, I think I spent a good two hours almost talking to them. I got the phone and I was like, I've spent two hours, in, in essence, talking about carpets. Mm. But it was a way that a product like that can encapsulate and be such a big aspect of, a, of an operation. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that, actually. I think having written about other industries in my past, in, the career, in my career, um, I would say that the thing that seems to be quite unique about some like sustainability people particularly sustainability leaders and managers is that kind of level of inspiration that they have that is almost a bit of a surprise factor with them sometimes I mean I think about I mentioned to you Matt and I quite recently I'm interviewing um, David Picton from mm. Carillion mm. and had a good conversation with him and the interview I sort of had written down all these questions and thought that I was going to take the interview one way and then suddenly it just took on this whole new angle about his actual career and, and life almost in terms of he ended up telling me that he'd spent the majority of his career in the military um working in the military mm. and, and leading people in the military and um and how he'd actually got accrued a lot of his sort of leadership skills that way and um it was just quite fascinating you end up having discussions with some people that work in sustainability that end up sort of inspiring you in quite different ways um anyway so um on on the flip side i guess then of all of this success or in terms of to get that success sometimes you have to overcome quite significant challenges um Alexandra, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge um, facing sustainability professionals 
this year or, or sort of more generally at the moment? I mean, I know you wrote a, a thesis, didn't you, about um, behaviour change? You touched on it earlier. Yes. Um, that's always a huge challenge in sustainability. Do you think? Do you think is is that still kind of up there with one of the top challenges for sustainability pollution? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think it will be you know, it, more so than ever this year, as as we see, particularly here in the UK and mm. Europe. You know, Brexit and the questions associated with that is going to be taking a, a, and just the levels of uncertainty in in the markets, the uncertainty in the economy, is is just going to be putting a lot of things at the top of the agenda in in the boardroom. Mm. So actually, maintaining a, a focus can be and maintaining and continuing to see sustainability as as opportunity as well as risk I think can be that bit harder and so I think that's where the energy and effort for sustainability practitioners is going to be really needed this this year Um, but I think as we said that also the opportunity arising out of the the Paris Agreement the the focus at the levels of of regions and states I think there is going to be uh, a, a lot more opportunity to actually connect um, what sustainability practitioners within their businesses are doing to to a global agenda, mm. uh, and therefore to be able to drive perhaps a little more urgency than has otherwise been noted. Mm. Um, Interesting, yeah. So, kind of maintaining a focus despite the sort of political backdrop, and then mm. um, capitalising on on where we've actually managed to get globally, despite all of that through the Paris Agreement and other things like the SDGs and things. It's quite a nice sort of New Year's resolution then for um, for the green economy. Um, and while we're on the subject of uh, New Year's resolutions, do you have one, Alexandra? Out of interest. <laughs> um, yes, actually, my New Year's resolution at the moment is just um, to reduce the international travel, <laughs> which, which is um, the sad irony of of uh, working of running a consultancy focused mm. on sustainable. Sustainability is that I find myself you know, doing more international travel than I used to. Mm. Um, so trying to do more virtual work. Virtual I think work, is yeah. Going to be... A lot of companies are doing that now as well, sort of trying to minimise that through telecoms yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good... and, and actually, I think you, the technology allows us to do that more and more. You know, mm. A lot more of my coaching is now done uh, virtually. Yeah. There's a lot you can achieve over Skype. And yeah. <laughs> One day we'll never have to leave our homes, or we can just <laughs> we'll write up on these stories from our, from our homes. What about you guys? You got any New Year's resolutions? Um, be the opposite. It actually increased my international travel. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get to thirty countries at the end of the year. <laughs> um, other than that, just you know, seizing the opportunity. I think there's a lot of times last year when I feel like I, I could have. If there, there was a big story that came out, and I thought I could have grabbed an interview with that guy. Okay, so if I, if I just try and get to as many events as possible, speak to as many people, just mm. gain that knowledge and so I don't know, it's seizing the opportunity, even if it's just uh, taking advantage of the New Year sales. I mean, that's... What you, Matt? I can say, I, I wouldn't say I had a New Year's resolution. Like, I, don't, I don't understand this whole concept of waiting for, for a time. But um, <laughs> um, aside from the general kind of, you know, I think people understand always do the kind of health kicks and the, and the fitness stuff. Aside from that, I, I suppose I need to start practicing what I preach so to speak um, you know I write about sustainability I write a lot about kind of you know, recycling food waste um, general consumption and I, I look at home and I think I don't do much of this mm. you know I, I threw mm. out like I threw out like four courgettes the other day because they've been in the fridge when I was away for New Year's and I was like oh, that's not the best way of doing yeah. this so I suppose it's 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 taking 
because this is you know we focus on the business aspect but it's taking the learnings from that and, and trying to put you know push it into my everyday life you know i'm not going to be driving around in an ev or an autonomous vehicle any anytime <laughs> soon um but you know there's there's no reason why perhaps i can't get on a, a bike and cycle to work every now and again i don't have a bike so that's not going to happen <laughs> but um, i'll start with the baby steps like the food waste and stuff like that all right so stay tuned for the sort of december 2017 episode when we reflect upon that and see whether or not <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah the, the miserable failure that i suffered wasn't it like isn't it like the second week of february most people give up on their resolutions yeah. that'd probably be me yeah yeah mm. mine was mine's <clears throat> a, a random one but it was to, to sort of i thought about it while i was over the christmas break um, sounds rather selfish actually but to go home earlier to, to not stay in work so late because last year I had too many nights when I was just literally the last person in this entire office block as I've told you many times in the car locking out of the car park and literally couldn't get out of the office one night so yeah I think it's uh, I don't mind working late now and again but uh, I think it's probably a little bit unhealthy to be spending yeah. so much time mm-hmm. behind your computer and actually not get out and about. Um, anyway, um, before we get all philosophical, uh, now we're approaching the end of the episode, um, but we wouldn't be able to start a new year without um, a couple of the regular features on this podcast. Um, first up, let's go to you, Matt, mm-hmm. with your um, green innovation of the week. Um, now, I know we're only a few days into the new year, but actually I think you've probably got a lot of innovations to choose from, haven't you? Because it's been the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, haven't you? And we didn't send you out there, but... Uh, you managed to cover it online. No, exactly. Um, it, it's still, you know, it, it's been happening for the last few days. It's it's a bizarre show. It, it really is. It takes it takes the most imaginative things and, and puts them into reality, and then it takes the most pointless things and also <laughs> puts them into reality. Like, I, I will never see the need for a small levitating speaker or, or a smart hairbrush um, that sends data to how you brush your hair. Some of that stuff, I it just doesn't. I don't understand. Or a little robot companion that doesn't seem to do anything but follow you around. You know, <laughs> maybe. Sounds like my dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but there is some there is some generally intriguing stuff there. And seeing as how my kind of New Year's resolution, I suppose, is to you know start with more September life. There is there is stuff there that will definitely help with the food waste aspect. Okay. And that is LG um, uh, unveiled a new fridge. Which you know don't you know don't hold back your disbelief just yet. Um, it's very kind of IoT integrated. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a smart fridge in essence. Um, it consists of like a um, sterilization device that basically reacts to temperature changes in the fridge and will react and change its temperature in accordance to notice when a food is about to go off or mm-hmm. or and basically it, it extends the shelf life, not the shelf mm-hmm. life, but the fridge life of your food. Mm-hmm. Allows you to use it longer. One of my biggest things is I'll buy a weekly shop mm-hmm. and then at the end of the week I'm like I haven't actually done but you know that's starting to go and I haven't used it yet so yeah. that would be ideal and there's it kind of goes hand in hand with um fridge cam uh, an app and a device you kind of put there and it tells you it sends your alerts when that's meant to expire and it gives you ideas like, oh you're out you need to buy more milk and stuff just kind of keeps your because you know not I don't actually think many people do a weekly shop anymore I think people go out buy what they need especially this online delivery aspect of it as well you know mm. I envision the day where my smart fridge tells me that my you know avocado I don't eat avocados um, is going off and I my my advice gives me the warning mm-hmm. and I you know I get an Amazon drone to come and deliver a load of avocados to my back garden or something <laughs> it, it, it will happen it will happen soon so I think I think um, a lot of the stuff at CES is you know there's all the the big kind of you know EVs Faraday future cars that kind of stuff mm-hmm. which uh, just from a personal aspect doesn't doesn't apply to me because it's like I'm not going to go out and buy mm. and even though I'm not going to have a fridge the stuff that will change consumer attitudes or individual attitudes I think will be a huge driver now that IoT is becoming a regular thing it's changing attitudes without them 
even realising mm. it's streamlining the whole process in essence. Yeah, mm. interesting. So um, yeah, so your New Year's resolution is to reduce food waste, and now you're kind of save up for an LG there. fridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully, you're, you, I'm sure you're hoping for one of them to maybe send one in now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm open for a, for a trial run. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we're that big yet. Um, okay, so uh, good stuff. On to you then, George. Um, to finish off with your sustainability success story of the week. Now it might be a bit difficult because we haven't been back for three days. Um, have there been any positive stories since we've been back? Yeah, definitely. As you say, only a couple of days in. But um, we'd, I turned to the uh, New Year's honours roll and um, you wouldn't expect it, but there was a sustainability leader who uh, actually gained an MBE, uh, Ant Wilson, uh, yeah. from ACOM, which itself is an, a leader mm-hmm. in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's fantastic to hear that he's been recognised for his services uh, for construction industry. I mean, he's... Yeah, well, I couldn't believe what I heard yesterday. He'd been in the job for nearly forty years. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm less than twelve months in, and if I could do half the amount that he's done in that time, yeah. it'd be fantastic. Mm. But um, so yeah, so he's he does stuff in the sector. He works with government on building regulations, and then you turn you think about stuff like uh, leadership. Mm. His leadership skills. Uh, mm. I heard that he goes into like uh, lecturers, uh, universities, and mm-hmm. trying is trying to encourage the next generation of sustainability leaders. Mm. So um, no, well deserved. And, yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, yeah, thirty-seven years in the role. You said yeah. yesterday, which is quite shocking. But um, great guy. Yeah, and he's been a judge on our awards actually a couple of times previously. Um, he's always keen to help up with articles, help out with articles and things like that. So yeah, congratulations to Ant. Uh, very well deserved. Okay then, so uh, the time has flown by today, um, but that does bring us to an end of this episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Um, First off, I must say a very big thank you to you, Alexandra, for taking the time out to join us here at our offices today. Pleasure. Um, Yeah, so it's been a great way to start start the year. Are you back back up to Milton Keynes now? Uh, Yes, yes, back up to Milton Keynes, but it's a lovely day for us. Yeah, well, and good luck with everything at Talic & Co. I'm sure we'll see yourself and, and Larry again sometime yes, soon at one of our events um, and for ED for us guys it's, it's onwards and upwards isn't it we've got um, lots of new and exciting events to bring you this year um, starting this month with the Sustainability Leaders Forum and the awards which are taking place on the 25th and 26th of January um, I think there are still places available for both of those events so I'll make sure we provide some links with them in the story alongside this podcast um, and so listeners of this podcast please do uh, make it your new year's resolution to spread the word subscribe uh, on on this uh, on itunes for the podcast um, and also do sign up to our newsletter if you haven't already i know it's a bit of shameless self-promotion but um if you ever do want some inspiration or insight not that necessarily will provide it but we certainly do showcase a lot on the site so ed might be a good way to get yourself back in gear for the for the year ahead Anyway, that's enough from me. Um, But for now, it's goodbye from Alexandra. Goodbye. Goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye from George. Goodbye. And goodbye from myself. Goodbye. Goodbye.